We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Mike Cosentino. I have the good fortune of for this audio journey. Good for you. Certainly good for me. I do not do it alone. D2 Dolomite, Dave Martinez. He is here with me once again. Hello, D2. How are you doing? I am doing great. And uh, I'm here back in uh, Atlanta. I know you are over on uh, the other side of the, uh, of the country. Uh, so we're doing this once again remotely. That is true. I'm in beautiful Salt Lake City. In fact, this is a great way to preview our next episode. Spent most of this week actually in Denver. Have a different activity that we'll let everybody in on at some point, actually related to our ride and run concept for the remainder of the week. But earlier this week was with the Running Industry Association. A lot of really, really good retailers, friends, and colleagues from across the country, and many, many of our brand partners. So a preview for our next episode, you only need to wait two weeks. I know there has been so much conversation about supply chain, pricing, update schedules, race participation forecasts, and all kinds of other details that have to do with this lifestyle that we serve and that we all participate in, and we have more information than perhaps we've ever had. We do not want to keep it to ourselves, so we're going to share it with you in the next episode of the Run ATL podcast. You mentioned something, D2, when we talked about this. It's kind of funny. I kind of hope we get jinxed. Why don't you share why we hope this whole episode falls apart in the next few weeks? So, yeah, so in the past, when we've, whenever we have previewed um, a upcoming guest or upcoming topic or something like that, we have always been jinxed because we feel like we say, oh, well, it's in the can. And it's not really in the can because we've never recorded it. And all of a sudden, there's a schedule conflict, something happens. And all of a sudden, we have to scramble to get that next guest because um, it fell through. You know, they were unavailable or something happened and it's no longer relevant or whatever it is. So, you know, with the issues that we're having with supply chain, we're like, well, let's, let's just go ahead and tease it. And this is what we're going to cover. And if, if the jinx remains true, then we will use it to our advantage. And, you know, by teasing it and saying our next topic is going to focus on, you know, the issues that we're having, you know, with you know, supply chain and just in our industry and it's affecting everyone that maybe that the jinx will then help resolve the supply chain issue and we'll have to scramble for another topic because, you know, the, it'll all get resolved. You know, things will, factories will open up, you know, there'll be more shipping containers, more ships available, and we'll be able to get, you know, product a lot quicker. The delays will stop happening. You know, prices won't go up. So, you know, that, so using our jinx, hopefully throwing that out there and saying, if it truly is a jinx and we are jinxed, and let's use it to the benefit of, uh, you know, uh, uh, of everyone, yes. Yes, indeed. That would be cool. So here's the torpedoing the episode before it is ever actually put together. But assuming that that doesn't happen, that the jinx does not come our way or to fruition, that is a preview for you. Also, before this episode concludes, make sure you stick around to the backside of this. We're going to go through what we believe are some real racing highlights for the month of October. Oftentimes, everyone's favorite month 
to go out for a run or a walk, to sign up, register, and get going on a local event, or perhaps just to train for something, we've got some personal faves. We're going to share them with you. If you don't know how to connect with these events, you will before this episode is over. But D2, this is an awesome conversation that we're going to have today. We bring a good friend, my business partner, someone we both look up to and look to for much, including today's topic is your footwear. Is there anyone better than Stevie D, Steve DeMoss, to bring us some really good, really useful, and quite frankly, very cool information? Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of people that are interested in in you know, footwear design, but you know, Steve is one that will actually research the information. He goes and, and reads studies and finds out where things are kind of going, where we've been in the past, and it be, has become really a resource and well-informed to talk about these kind of things because he also talks to the manufacturers. You know, he's, he'll have a conversation with Brooks and their lead designer and talk about where things are going in their industry, what, you know, what studies they've done, where they're seeing, and the direction that they're going and where they see things kind of going maybe even, you know, five years down the road, which could change a lot of the way that you know some of these brands are designing their shoes so that's one of the things that we're talking about and uh so you know he's a wealth of information and i cannot believe that he and i have known each other for more than 20 years now and he is just a fascinating individual obviously incredibly special person to me and to our organization there's much that he knows it is true that when the student is ready, the teacher appears for those of you who have been curious about what you've been putting on your feet recently or perhaps for many many years the teacher is appearing for you now it is steve demoss and it is coming to you fully unedited right after this brief message running makes you feel good running is healthy and good for you running can even be therapeutic but running doesn't define you you are not a runner but running gives you life at big peach running company we get it that's why we are the number one running store for those that don't call themselves a runner That's why our guests use terms like friendly, thoughtful, attentive to describe us in reviews. Come see us at any of our seven metro Atlanta area locations or visit us at BigPeachRunningCo.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast as we made all too evident, perhaps, friends having conversation about topics we just love and perhaps even know a little bit about to ensure that to the maximal degree, as you heard, Stevie D, Steve DeMoss, my business partner, great friend, and D2&I's inspiration as it comes to the biggest part of our business is here now in studio, Stevie D, way overdue. Thank you for being part of this, my friend. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. It's always, always good to be here. And uh, we could probably extend this thing out for seven or eight hours, but we should <laughs> probably keep it, uh, keep it a little more reined in than that. It's always, always good to, to hang out with, uh, with friends well, indeed, who have similar and, interests. Well, and, and D2 would have quite the work cut out for him if we went six hours. That might be kind of fun. <laughs> so we'll see. Hang in there with us, everyone. We'll see how D2's editing skills are. But, you know, this is a really predictable question. As business partners, there's so many different things that we've unpacked and that we've even uncovered together. I mean, if you think back the now almost two decades of working together, whether it has to do with the principles of guest service, whether it has to do with all the different technologies that we've seen in products and categories that have been across our business now for quite some time. Heck, we think about retail arithmetic and other really predictable considerations for just running our business. Then there's the fun side. And footwear is certainly that. But to you, what I have been so privileged to just kind of come alongside is your genuine interest in this category 
and where I really believe you've become not just our organizational expert, but truly one of the foremost thinkers about footwear in our industry. So where does that personal interest for you come across all those things that you could be thinking about or even learning? Why is it that footwear has kind of bubbled up so high? Well, there's a lot of reasons. First of all, it's um, it's like you said, it's our business. It's 80% of our business, right? Mm. So there's there's sort of like a, a, a logical necessity, like somebody probably, in, and, and by the way, there's a ton of footwear experts in our in our organization alone. I mean, there's, there's people uh, that are, uh, you know, um, wildly passionate and incredibly knowledgeable about footwear in all of our stores. So there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great knowledge. So it's, it's kind of, it, part of it is just, it's the environment in which you're in, right? I mean, you're inspired by those who are around you. You're inspired by the conversations you take part of it and it can't help, but uh, wear off and, and, and seep into, to every day. Um, and, and maybe part of the reason for me personally is, you know, growing up in this organization and you guys both will appreciate this. I mean, uh, Joe Gibson, uh, who uh, was, uh, you know, a guy who I spent many hours with uh, in, in the old days and uh, who was a huge footwear geek and uh, liked to doctor shoes and experiment on shoes and cut shoes in half and everything like that. I mean, that, that had an impact on me. Right. And we spent many, uh, many hours having interesting discussions about footwear. But I, I think it's just the environment and. I, I, it's an acquired taste too. I mean, I wasn't like born into this. Like I see people coming into our organization, college kids coming to our organization. I can think of a few right off the top of my head. They are, it is all natural. Like they have this just natural born intrinsic interest in footwear and they, they are giddy about everything going out there. They're on all the reddits and subreddits and all the, you know, the footwear geek forums contributing left, right, and center. And I, I wasn't like that. Of course, none of that ever exists back the, back in those days, but <laughs> maybe I would have been like that. But, um, yeah, so I think I think mine was more of a I'm a product of the environment in which I'm in, and I've just been in this environment for a very long time, and and uh, it has become something that's wildly passionate. The other thing is too is I mean running is a fairly simple endeavor, right? And from a product perspective, if there was only one thing that you were going to pay attention to, it would probably be footwear. Now there's a lot of other things that warrant attention and are, are worthy, and you know wearable technology is like this infinite rabbit hole you can go into as far as. Uh, interesting topics and developments and you know what the future may be like for that but right now footwear is still really a front and center that if you if you are a runner or a walker that that is uh, that is probably the most important thing you can pay attention to so um, I'm a big advocate of that and uh, it's fun to get to live it every day well let's build a little bit of a foundation because you're right we've got many experts in our organization they can tell you well Here's been the price increase or the new technology. They might even be able to tell you kind of the litany of a particular shoe and the development and, and why it's doing what it does when we classify it. But you go further back than that. If we look at the history of running footwear, there are certain things that are worth knowing as we talk about where we are today and where maybe we're headed tomorrow and in the future. So when you think about what you've learned about the history of running footwear, not just in our business, but in general or overall, what are some of those things that you're like, man, people should know about this? Um, yeah, so when it comes to footwear, we're an experiment of one, which is to say that anything I think or you think or a coach thinks or a magazine or a blog thinks or a vlog thinks or anything like that is fine and that's great and it's valuable and useful and interesting. Uh, but in the end, the only thing that matters is what your foot thinks. I a lot of times tell people that we're agnostic when it comes to brands and models. Uh, the only thing we root for is your foot. And so it's really worth understanding what your foot likes. And I get it. When you're new to walking or running or you're new to even thinking about footwear for walking and running, 
um, you have no idea what your foot is, what your foot might like or dislike. And so I think a lot of our job is simply to educate people as to how a shoe should fit and feel underfoot. Now, you know, that that's more subjective than objective, but uh, it still can give a little bit of an idea of things to think about and then listen to your foot. I mean, we jokingly say that our fit process is really me saying my job is to teach you how, tell you how a shoe should fit and feel. Your job is to listen to your foot and our job together is to figure out what the heck your foot is saying. And so I think when it comes to, to footwear, if there's one thing to know, it would be that. It's like, it's great, it's good to read. There's so much information out there, everybody knows that. It's great to read it, but it's, it's more confusing for most people than it is helpful. And so I think the most helpful thing is to say, look, know a couple basic things about fit and feel, and then listen to your foot. Your foot is going to almost always lead you in the right direction. Um, and don't, and it's usually best not to put too much thought into it. Those initial 10 steps can go a long way towards, uh, towards telling you what is going to work and what's not going to work. Well, I'm going to ask more about that later, but if we go to even when we were incepted 2004, first, let's say 10 years, you know, our business by category or what we might say classification has changed pretty significantly. There was a term motion control that was incredibly popular when we first came out of the gates. And the percentage of our business in that segment right now is drastically different. What do you think has contributed to that shift and other shifts that have to do with how running shoes are even classified? Yeah, so um, even when we started, it was it was becoming more uh, fragmented, right? Mm. I mean, if you go back, and part of the reason, like, if we, I, I love thinking about the future. Well, what's it going to be like in three years, five years, 10 years, 100 years, whatever it may be? And, you know, but there, there's no real way to know that unless you know where you're at today. And there's no real way to know where you're at today unless you go back and look at the past. So even if, you know, if you, if you say, well, when, when Big Peach Running Company uh, was first founded in 2004, you say, where were we at at that point? And we were just on the cusp of the whole thing getting, well, it had just started getting more and more fractured, right? I mean, back in the day, there had been, there was two shoes. You get a cushion shoe or a motion control shoe. That was it. And they both had their purposes. But, you know, we've, when we first uh, got started in this, it was, you know, an ASICS coined the term, right? Neutral cushioned, structured cushioned. Mm -hmm. And then it started getting into, well, there's the guidance category. And then there's like the in inherently stable neutral category. And you remember all these terms that kind of came up and they were, they were coined by the manufacturers to start fragmenting everything a little bit more because it started, be they're just started becoming, well, it's a spectrum, right? So... If you say, well, we've, we've got the one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum covered, now we start filling in the gaps in between. It's like everything that probably humanity has ever done is you start filling it out as you go and it starts becoming more complex. And, um, you know, and, and from there, it's just kind of continued to get more complex, although sometimes I think it's gotten so complex that it sort of doubles back on itself and it's heading back towards simplicity. Um, but uh, we, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. I, I know, you know, and you mentioned, you know, kind of the flip-flopping of the category. So that's kind of just an answer to the idea of, well, you know, what was it like when we first started and maybe what was it like before then? But, if, you know, if you really look in the last decade, and, and I think the last decade is one of the most exciting decades we've had. Probably, well, for me, probably the most exciting decade. We haven't had that many decades. <laughs> even in, but even in the context of footwear overall. I would rate it as one of the most exciting. And, you know, if you look at 2010, so this is all statistics, right? So this would say an objective way to say what you said is, is it's changed a lot. So in 2010, roughly 60%, well, just maybe you could round and say two-thirds of the shoes that we sold, and not just Big Peach, the entire channel, the entire industry sold, were in that motion control category. And motion control being a word that simply says we are going to literally control the motion of the foot. So we'll keep the foot in a more stable position, take stress off of the foot and the rest of the body. 
Um, that was roughly 60% or two-thirds. And the number one shoe in the industry by far was the Asics GT2000, which was a classic stability shoe. Um, by 2020, uh, the motion co- control category had fallen to about 35% of sales in the, uh, in the industry. And the Hoka Bondi, which didn't even exist. nobody. Well, it actually technically did exist in 2010, but just barely. Not too many yep. people had heard of it. Uh, but the Hoka Bondi had become the number three selling shoe. And today, if you look at sales statistics from the industry, neutral is now 70% of, uh, of the footwear sales, which obviously means that motion control is 30%. Now, defining neutral and defining motion control, those definitions have changed because, again, that spectrum has become more filled out. So it's not as clear cut as to what is a motion control shoe, what is a neutral shoe. It's very, very blurry these days. So that's where the objectivity maybe falls apart a little bit. And the uh, the Hoka Bondi is the number one selling shoe in the uh, in the channel. And the Ace Pori 6 GT2000, which is still a brilliant shoe, is number 15. So then you would say, you know, like, what the heck happened? Like, why? Like, how, how did all that change so much in the last uh, decade when in the previous four decades leading up to that, it had pretty much been status quo? Well, and, and you know, certainly our organization knows those statistics. It doesn't surprise us now because we've lived through that decade and that radical shift in terms of where the percentages of the business are. One of the things that you've done so brilliantly, both for our team as well as for others who serve in other capacities, the same people we have the good fortune of taking care of inside our store. And that is laying out what you believe. And I think you've turned them the four events that now have us in this place of 2021, a much different percentage for quote unquote neutral shoes and a completely different way of thinking about, well, what shoe could work best for someone compared to 2004 anyway. Would you mind going through those four events? I've heard yeah. you do it with medical professionals, obviously with our team. I've heard you do it with guests inside our store. It's brilliant in my estimation. I think people are going to get a ton of this. Spare us every detail and uh, <laughs> dive into the four events if you would. All right. So so in 2001, Mizuno, uh, USA, uh, which is actually headquartered uh, just up the road from Indeed. here, right? Norcross. Um, Mizuno commissioned a study with the University of Calgary and Ben O'Nig, who is, by the way, if, there, if you had to point to one um, department or one area or one school of thought and one individual, it would be the University of Calgary and Ben O'Nig as far as just having such a massive impact on some of the long range thinking of, uh, of footwear design and as it relates to improving human biomechanics or not even imp- not improving human biomechanics, but working in uh, 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 some, uh, uh, working in conjunction with uh, with human biomechanics. So uh, he, uh, he had he and his crew had quite a quite an impact. So in 2001, Mizuno commissioned the survey and they did. Um, it was extensive. Uh, and, uh, you know, they the goal was to determine what is the best running shoe. Right. So it's like this great idea, but it's literally impossible. It's like trying to pinpoint the meaning of life or something. <laughs> and uh, so they came back after all all of their extensive research. And I think it was a million dollar study. Um, with an answer that is either maddening or enlightening, depending on how you want to look at it. And the answer was the shoe that feels the best on your foot is the best shoe for any individual. And it was like, seriously, we went through all of that. And that's what, that's our answer. We determined that the shoe that feels best is best. Surely you were hoping for something more sophisticated than that. And it's like, nope, that's the answer you got. And the reason you got it was because it's just so darn complicated. And we really, even to this day, don't have a better answer. Now for us in our industry, it was kind of, it was kind of nice looking back on it. It's like, oh man, that's great. Because like when you start getting into all the other details and all the minutia, 
it becomes so complicated that your head starts to spin and you get, you know, every question that you answer is like 500 more questions pop up. And you're like, I can't, it's an impossible uh, equation to try to try to figure out. So it's nice, it's almost cathartic to go back and be like, oh, it's just like, it's that simple. It's the shoe that feels best in your foot. We don't have to be better than that because really nobody's better than that at this moment. So um, that was 2001. And at the time, you know, it's funny, it's before we were open. I, I didn't even hear about this study for a while. But within the industry, I think it was it was a pretty big deal for a little while. And people thought, okay, it's going to be a big deal. But it, it took a long time. But I think it finally started to sink in, you know, maybe around 2010, 2011, 2012. And people started questioning. But, but the reason people started questioning is the next big event is because in 2009 is when the barefoot running era started. And uh, I say it was when the barefoot running era started. I mean, you could argue like barefoot running has been around for a while for a long time, right? Probably mm -hmm. since we became um, uh, standing up on our own two feet. Um, but barefoot running became a thing for people who practiced running in 2009 when Born to Run hit the number one spot on the New York Times bestseller. And all of a sudden it was like thrust into everyone's consciousness that, oh, we've been doing this wrong all these years and we should all be running barefoot. And, uh, you know, it's it funny, I was recounting this story not too long ago and it was like, at that time, like we all thought, and you guys can appreciate this. Like we were, like there were those in the industry that were like traditional running shoes, they're gone. Like in five years, they will be gone. You will not see another traditional running shoe. Everything's going barefoot. And if you look at some of the things that were out there, I mean, you know, gear publications were all of a sudden dedicated exclusively to barefoot. You had like barefoot awards. You had all this, you know, just this, this feeling in the industry. It's like wow, it's it's just like a, a sea change where it's just all moving in that direction. Um, and it turned out not to be true, right? <laughs> but it, it lasted for like three years. And then, uh, and then you know, I think I think common sense kind of took over and said, not that the ideas were wrong, but just the application of theory into the real world wasn't going to work for most people, and uh, and it really subsided. But I think the barefoot running era, what it made everyone do, but especially on the manufacturer side, because they were really looking, you know, at, at doom's door, right? Where it's like, wow, everything we've been done through the last, you know, depending on who you were, twenty to a hundred years is wrong. And we've got to rethink this. And it was like, no, it wasn't. But you know what? It's probably good to rethink things anyway and to really question everything you're doing. And I think that was maybe the impetus where it was like, you know what? This Ben O'Nig, this preferred movement pathway idea, the, the idea that the comfort is really important. I think the barefoot running era started, just helped accelerate uh, the adoption of that thought because everybody was forced to think differently. And then the third one is Hoka, right? I mean, like, I don't know, what more do you want to say? Like Hoka's turned the industry upside down. All you have to do is look at a footwear wall in any specialty running shoe store and you're like, you can see Hoka's DNA all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the oversized midsoles, the rockered bottoms, um, the amount of cushion underneath underneath the foot. Uh, it's it's all, you know, Hoka came out and, and they were actually founded to fascinatingly. Hoka started in 2009 too, the same year as the, the barefoot running movement really got uh, elevated to the forefoot, forefront. Um, you know, it's funny, Big Peach was a little bit late to the barefoot running era. I remember, I remember it was you and me, yep. or you, me, and Joe, or yep. somebody, like, we're looking at, at Five Fingers, right? And they'd be like, this is, you know, a good shoe for running. And I remember, for me, just thinking, that can't possibly be true. Like, there's no way I would want to run in this shoe. And, you know, it's funny, I, then all of a sudden, you know, like, a year and a half, two years later, we're like calling them and they won't return our calls. Right? Yeah. We're like, we gotta, we gotta carry some of these shoes because everybody's asking for them. But what that did was it, it opened, uh, I think it opened our minds to the fact that, oh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, 
a lot of a lot of ways to uh, to look at this. So we were late to the game on barefoot, but we were early to the game on Hoka, Indeed. and that was that was good. I mean, we were uh, we were one of the first retailers in the country to bring Hoka in. We brought them in in 2011, and uh, uh, I do remember the first time you called uh, over to Hoka headquarters. And I believe uh, they had two founders, Nicola and Jean-Luc. Yep. But I think Nicola answered the phone. We had lunch down at Rays <laughs> on the River. Right. And that well, he was came to town, but you yeah. called him. They were in France. Yep. You called him. Who knows what the time zone was? Maybe he worked around the clock uh, back in those days. <laughs> but it was like, it's like the founder answered the phone, which is a hilarious story and a great story. Uh, thank goodness that they were purchased by Deckers. If Honestly, I don't think they would be around anymore if they had not been purchased. I just don't think they would have ever been able to build the infrastructure to uh, to get the distribution that they got. But yeah, so we were early to the game on Hoka. And, uh, you know, Hoka was, you know, a, a little bit, if you had, had to reference something I, I like, was called Amara's Laws Out of Technology, which basically says that something... Uh, and a technology's initial impact is tends to be overestimated, but its long-term impact tends to be underestimated. And it's like, initially, I think, you know, because the ultra-running community and the triathlon community was quick to adopt Hoka, and it kind of, to us, seemed like, oh, this is going to be huge. But the everyday walker and runner was kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I remember bringing the shoe out so many times, and people just kind of looking at me funny, and be like, that yep. thing can go back in the box, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, who would have thought at that time that Hoka was going to become, you know, such a dominant force as they are today? Now, keep in mind, Hoka is a dominant force, but they still have market share of under 30%, and they're still number two. Brooks is still ahead of them. So they are a dominant force, but they win three out of 10. It's like baseball. If you have a 300 average, you're a Hall of Famer, right? But it's still 300 average. It's still, you know, you're you're making it out 70% of the time. Um, so uh, they are dominant, but uh, but they still, you know, there's there's plenty of competition for Hoka. So Hoka was the third thing. And then the fourth thing is, you know, the rise of the versatile runner. And, uh, uh, you know, the versatile runner is a phrase that uh, I'll have to uh, uh, credit Anne from Saucony. Golly, I'm like it on her last name. Kavass, um, something. it doesn't matter, not important. Um, but uh, that is the first person I heard use that term. And the, the idea is that about 80% of runners are versatile runners. And the idea is that the versatile runner runs but isn't passionate about running. And running is one of many things they do. And running maybe is a means to an end. It's, it's not, uh, it, it, it's, you know, maybe something they're going to do at one or two hours a week. Uh, if that, maybe it's more like uh, 30 to 90 minutes a week. And, um, you know, the versatile runner is going to be less concerned about, uh, all the technology in a shoe, but just want something comfortable and versatile, right? A shoe that can do a lot of different things. And I do think that that has uh, um, contributed to the idea that uh, um, we don't necessarily need um, as much support as you would if you were a half marathon or marathon runner. And some of those little details aren't quite as critical and we just don't need to get hung up on them as much. And we can look at a shoe that simply does a, is, is versatile, does a good job of providing support and cushion, and overall is just comfortable. And I think that's that's been a contributing factor. So I think all those things, there's other things too, right? But those four things, for me, if I had to pinpoint how the heck do we end up here where cushion has literally flip-flopped with motion control, I would say that. And you know, the other thing you could say is, is that um, people want comfort, and people want comfort, and, and in, the, in, in the end, what you really want to say, you want comfort and support, but you don't want to sacrifice your comfort comfort in order to achieve support. So I think what you're really seeing these days is saying, okay, how can we get there? We've gone towards cushion, we've gone towards comfort, but let's get back to saying we can still provide support. We're just going to have to do it differently than we had in the past. Well, one of the terms that you use, I'm going to have you 
maybe more fully explain just so everybody hears this and perhaps thinks about it next time they put on a pair of shoes or certainly come to one of our stores to consider what might be next for them. And that was preferred movement pathway. And I think whether we go back now 20 years to Benno Nigg's research or that versatile runner who is increasingly prevalent both in our stores and kind of in general as we look at the landscape of fitness and exercise, what is the preferred movement pathway? And for us as everyday runners, what does it mean when we're thinking about our own footwear? Yeah, so uh, that that is a, a hard, and I've had a lot of discussions with people about this and, and you know, what is the preferred movement pathway? I mean, nobody really knows, right? I mean, it's different. The three of us in the room, right? We All three of us have different preferred movement pathways. I, you know, and I don't even know what my own is. And so it gets very difficult to sort of, to, to really pinpoint that. And maybe, you know, in the next decade, two decades, whatever, at some point, I feel like we probably will have a better understanding of that. But it's basically saying that a shoe should complement a runner's preferred movement pathway. And if it complements that, running will be easier. The shoe will assist with running. And if it doesn't complement it, it will work against it, and therefore running will be a little bit harder. You're like, okay, well, that makes sense, but how the heck do you actually get there? And then that goes back to just saying you've really just got to listen to it. You've got to try on shoes. You've got to understand what an appropriate fit and feel might be, and then you've got to listen to your foot. Now, what the preferred movement pathway is has, a, has to do, I mean, it just depends how, how deep do you want to go, right? We could talk about the foot. We could about the, talk about the foot and the heel. We could talk about the foot, heel, and tibia. We could talk about the foot, heel, tibia, and knee. We can go on up from there. We can involve the systems of the body. I mean, like, I, there's just, there's a lot of variables. And that's, again, where you're like, oh, this is so complicated that you know, you're never going to figure this out. Like, nobody has this figured out. So nobody knows exactly what the preferred movement pathway is. Um, but uh, we feel like if we listen to our bodies, our body probably knows what our preferred movement pathway is. And that's probably the best path forward. Now, you do have the school of thought that says maybe your body's wrong. Maybe you've just adapted and you're doing things wrong. And what feels right today is going to be detrimental to you in 20, 30, 40 years. It's like, that's a fair argument. But I still don't know how, how to address that any better than just saying, you know, follow what your body, what feels right for you right now. Well, and we look at what we do inside our stores, whether we literally look at it and we watch the good fortune of one of our guest advocates fitting a guest maybe it's his or her first visit or first time ever being fit for a pair of running shoes or somebody who's come back and is thinking well this one was terrific but maybe there's something even better and wants to be a little bit experimental or they just now know more because this is the second or third purchase of running shoes and now they have so much personal data they didn't have during their first trip how do we balance whether it's preferred movement pathway or just what you said where there's nothing that's so universal that we can just say it applies to everyone who comes through our doors and then have our fit process not only mean something but do something that is special and exceptional so people can be comfortable and can look quite frankly more forward to putting their shoes on than taking them off how do we balance all that yeah i think so i still think it's more art than science um, and it's probably, you know, as each year goes by, it probably starts edging a little bit more towards science, but it's a slow, it's a slow process. I mean, we're still very much in the, in the subjective uh, range. And I always tell people when we, you know, especially people who are new and are kind of struggling with exactly the question that you asked. And I say new, new, new to our team, you know, would ask a mm -hmm. similar type of question. You say, you know what, strip away all the tools, all the toys. If you say you only have one thing you can do, only one question you can ask, my question would be simple. It would be, what are you using the shoes for? 
because that goes a long way. And, and again, it goes going back into the versatile runner. I mean, if you tell me you're using your shoes for your first or your 40th marathon, that gives me a real good idea of, of where we need to go. If you tell me you're using the shoes, you're going to do a little bit of cardio on the treadmill once or twice a week, and you're going to be doing a lot of high intensity training in the meantime or circuit training in the gym, that also gives me a really good idea. And it's a two totally different end users, right? And so two totally different scenarios. So you really, you really got to start with it's questions, even more than it is tools. The tools we have are great. The questions are even better and saying, you know, what are you using the shoe for? Have you had a shoe that has worked well in the past? What shoe are you using right now? And are you having any problems, injury, aches and pains, discomfort, anything along those lines? And if you can get through those questions, then you've got a really good foundation. And then you can use things like, obviously, we're going to look at the foot, shape of foot, width of foot, length, arch, things like that. We're obviously, we still do video gain analysis. And even though I think in general, the idea that, you know, and this was uh, really something that came out in the last decade too, although we kind of all knew it before, but it really kind of got more, just better understood in the past decade. The idea that an overpronated foot does not automatically mean you need a so-called motion control or stability shoe. The only thing we know for sure that it means is that you have an overpronated foot. <laughs> like it's like, it's like, okay, well now we know that. Now what do you want to do with it? And then again, it goes back to some of those other questions that you ask. So I think, you know, we have some nice, uh, nice tools and toys uh, that we can use to help us uh, and, and also to show our, our guests, you know, what it is we're doing and hopefully bring them along for the, for the, in the, in the process. But uh, it's still the questions that are, are going to be the most important. And then, you know, once you get through that and you've got a general plan, it still is, let's try on some shoes. Let's have an intelligent conversation about fit and feel. And let's listen to your foot and see what the heck your foot has to say about this model or that model. Because there's, there's, I, I don't have to tell you, you guys, there's plenty of surprises out there. And I think it is good to go on a journey and talk about different experiences you can have under your foot and which experience might be best for you. That's awesome. That's like a master class, truly, when we even think about what we say to our team members inside our stores, where the quality of the experience at Big Peach Running Company is going to be completely dependent upon the quality of the questions we ask. And obviously, that finely tuned ability to listen and then do something meaningful with that information, including matching it up with what we know about the products that we have to offer. So what a great reminder. I mean, we're always super transparent about our organization, our business, what we're thinking about. And this is just further indication of that. All right, we're not going to dive into the future yet. We'll get a chance to allow you to kind of look into your crystal ball. But before we do that, what are some of the trends that are happening right now that we're kind of in the midst of as it relates yeah, to running so, footwear? Yeah, so we're... You know, we're, we're like, I don't know where we're at in the life cycle of cushion being king, right? I mean, I don't know if we're in the middle of it, if we're at the apex and we're about to go down, uh, if we're still on the upswing of it. It seems like we might still be on the upswing of it. Um, but cushion has been around for, I mean, it's not a new thing, but that's still a current trend. And, and cushion, again, this is Hoka's influenced our influence. Uh, and, um, you know, that's a that's a big deal. And, and again, um, cushion as a better way to improve the enjoyment of running and mitigate the <clears throat> possible discomfort or injuries associated with running versus motion control uh, type of shoes or a more stable, rigid shoe. And um, so that's, that's, that's one thing. But we've been there for a little while. We're still in it, but we've been there. It's not, it's not really all that new. I think the newer thing is actually um, on the stability side, the more the supportive side. And the idea that, you know, part of the reason uh, we had this flip-flop is people just said, well, that cushion shoe feels better than that support shoe. So I'm going to go with cushion, especially if, you know, I'm running like 90 minutes a week total, you know, maybe three runs of 30 minutes each. Like maybe I don't need all this support. It's probably like, yeah, you probably don't. A lot of people don't. 
Um, so the idea is, yeah, but you probably still need the support. It's just you're choosing the cushion. So what if you could have both? So I think what we're seeing now is is more and more trends in, in that both category. And then, again, this is something that's not like blindingly new. I think we're, we're in the midst of it right now. But you are seeing more and more new developments. You know, if you went through a list of manufacturers, if you look at ASIC shoes right now, you can literally take three shoes that are on the market right now and put them side by side to each other. And you can see the evolution right in front of your eyes mm -hmm. in terms of how they're providing support. And it's all through what we, you know, if we had to use one word, it'd be geometry, right? They're just changing the shapes of the midsole, the amount of shoe in contact with the ground, the, 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 the base uh, of the shoe to provide support as opposed to just using denser foam in a certain area, which does make the shoe feel a little bit more rigid and a little bit more clunky. And again, that's that's takes away from that comfort cushion feeling on underfoot. And you, you know, I mean, you use Asics as an example. Hoka's always been over in that world. Brooks transitioned over that world back in 2019 for the most part and, you know, have almost completely transitioned, transitioned all of their shoes at this point. Mizuno's in the process of transitioning. Adidas uh, has been doing it for, for a long time. Um, uh, New Balance is is, <coughs> is is moving in that direction as well. So you're seeing it really uh, uh, across the board with with the uh, the idea that support can be delivered through different means as opposed to simply just putting like a lot of rigid plastic or just denser foam into a shoe. And um, you know that goes back to the you should have the comfortable experience underfoot that you want without sacrificing the support that you need. And you know in the end. A lot of people don't like running. I know that comes as a shock, right? Like, like it's, it's like blasphemous. What? You don't like running. But I understand. I mean, I used to hate running too. I mean, it was, running was an acquired taste for me. And I think really, if you look at the broader goal out of all of this, you say, you know, our, our goal, but the whole industry's goal is to make running more accessible and walking, right? Running and walking more accessible with more people out there doing it. The world, you know, seems like it would be a better place if, if more people out there doing it. And if people aren't enjoying it, but there's a way to make it more enjoyable simply by having a better experience underfoot. And then, you know, that's one variable of many. But uh, but that would be that would be great. And I, and I think that's that's part of what's really driving this is saying, well, how can we make running easier? How can we make it just a little bit more fun with the experience you have under your foot as opposed to being very prescriptive and being like, that foot's moving, Mike, and therefore we got to control that motion. So I'm sorry, this is going to suck. You're not going to enjoy having this shoe on your foot, but by golly, it's what you need. And so it's just like those days have passed and we're into a place where it's really trying to um, make the sport more, or the activity, the sport too, but the activity more more uh, accessible to the masses. And that's awesome, right? Because that's where, I mean, that's that's where we live and that's where, that's where you know, the industry really needs to live too. So I'm going to deconstruct shoes to, to some degree and I'm going to ask for your input. It might be subjective or you might be able to be hyper objective on this. First of all, let's go to midsoles. Carbon plates, we've talked about them on this podcast. Certainly there's no shortage of options nowadays at Big Peach Running Company. But if we look back to a majority of the history you shared earlier, carbon plates didn't exist. So it's a new right. midsole technology, relatively speaking. Where do you think that's going and is it better? So I, I think there's no no doubt it's better. Now, it doesn't mean it's better for all activities, and it doesn't mean that it's better for every one. I think there's enough anecdotal evidence. There's tons of anecdotal evidence, and there's even some reasonably sound research uh, that shows that carbon plates are work. And, uh, you know, it, it's... It's stored energy. Like, it does a better job of storing and returning energy to the foot than foam does. It's like, like that's not a hard concept to understand that a carbon plate, and all you have to do is hold one in your hand, feel the spring back on it, and you're like, oh, yeah, it seems like that would, that would work a little bit better. Uh, maybe it's like aluminum bats in baseball. I don't know why I keep going back to the baseball analogies. <laughs> it's our history. Yeah, it's our history. 
So, uh, so I don't think there's any doubt that they work. But again, you know, I think they work better the more force you exert on top of them. So the faster you're running uh, for a longer period of time, the better they work, which probably means they wouldn't work very well for me, <laughs> at least these days. So, um, but I think there's no doubt that they work. Um, they're pricey. Carbon is carbon fiber is expensive. Um, you know, they range a carbon plate issue ranges on the low end is actually pretty accessible at 160. Now I, I realize not everybody may define that as accessible, but compared to 275, it's pretty accessible. So, so uh, you know, they're they're there's a but they they are pricier, right? The, the shoes with carbon plates in them are, are definitely the expensive and the most the most exotic, most expensive side of the industry that we're in. Um, how does that trickle down? Will they trickle down? I think it will for sure to some de some degree if carbon plates make running faster and possibly make running easier, at least when you're exerting a certain amount of force and at a certain speed, then something similar to it will probably help as well. And this, and, you know, you see a lot of uh, manufacturers experimenting with what they call TPU, which is a very fancy word for plastic. Um, uh, I'm sure some of the engineers would curse me for saying that. <laughs> it's, it's a safe group. You're among friends. Right, right. Um, but uh, uh, it's, it's a plastic device that is more flexible than a carbon plate, but has some of the properties uh, in terms of, of energy return. Uh, not necessarily some of the properties of carbon fiber, but in terms of the goal of energy return, it probably checks some of those boxes not as effectively. But then again, if you're going slower and going uphill, you may actually feel like you're fighting against that carbon plate mm -hmm. if you're kind of shuffling along. And with a plastic uh, device underneath your foot, it might work a little bit better. So I think you're starting to see some, some trickle down in that. Obviously, you know, in midsole, the fall, is still you know, the so-called foam wars. Um, that's not going to abate anytime soon, and uh, you'll continue to have new new foams uh, introduced, especially because you know um, you know some of the manufacturers that have been famous for their carbon plates would say it's actually the foam that makes a bigger difference than the carbon plate. But everybody kind of glommed onto the carbon plate. Um, whether or not that's true probably depends on a variety of factors, including individual uh, running uh, form and preferences and things like that but yeah i think you'll you'll definitely see some trickle down but i think the overarching idea is let's make running easier right because it's one thing if you're a you know sub three hour marathoner and you're like i just want to go faster it's like great there's some cool technology out there for that but if you're like i'm just trying to finish my first 10k or 5k it's like well we don't really need to talk about carbon plates but how do we make running easier and if there's some version of that that can make running easier i mean the best shoes are the shoes you run on in the store. You're like, gosh, it just feels like that entire run was downhill. <laughs> it's like, that's wonderful, minus the impact, right? And, and, and so, you, you know, that's, I think that's really the goal. And I think some of that technology may be there to, to help assist with that. Well, and, and certainly this is just a suggestion for those who have not tried it. Similar to the onset of Hoka, obviously Stevie D referenced that. I remember where it was almost exclusively those who had signed up for an Ironman or were doing an ultra marathon. And before you knew it, you had everybody trying to pair on and whether they made that purchase, you know, three or five years ago, or even three or five minutes ago, it was worth trying them on when they were inside our stores. And I would say that now where when carbon plated footwear first came out, it was for that more elite athlete, perhaps that hyper fast man or woman. And now I think for any of us, if you are inside one of our stores, ask to try a carbon-plated shoe just so you can see the difference in the way that Stevie D just outlined it against something that is using a more conventional foam, even though the technology continues to increase. It continues to be lighter. It continues to be more responsive. Certainly a worthwhile education in a sample size of one. So let's move 
up the shoe, perhaps both literally and figuratively. Also, in the last five years, a heavy emphasis on the upper, using different materials, certainly using different construction methods than what was used when we certainly launched this business or even 10 years ago. Where do you see fully knit uppers? Where do you see some of the materials that are now on the top side of the foot? So a, a lot of the weight, so shoes have gotten lighter, right? In the last 10, 20, 30 years, probably. So shoes have gotten, continue to get lighter. A lot of the weight that gets shed in the shoe is shed because of different upper designs. And, and that's hard to understand, like at first, when you're looking at a shoe, like there doesn't seem like there's much to lose. And maybe there isn't so much anymore, but if you look at a shoe from, you know, anywhere from five to 10 years ago, and you compare the upper of the shoe, and you had these big stitched overlays all yep. over the place. Like you see some of those older shoes, and, it's like amazing. and they're shoes that we all ran in, right? And, and they felt great. <laughs> but uh, you look at them now, and you're thinking, wow, that is just crazy. I don't understand how that shoe could ever fit, fit anyone's. <laughs> well, you just get lucky if you're or feel foot, good. Right? So, so, um, so, you know, the upper, upper, um, and it's just really, and, and again, this is an area I've never built a shoe. So I, I can loosely talk about engineering techniques and things like that, but the the idea of engineered mesh and you know uh, the single unit uppers that don't have to get stitched together and you know even some of them that get three D printed and everything like that and and so those just make they make the uppers lighter but they make them way more pliable too, which for the most part is good and every once in a while is bad because you know more pliability means that maybe it'll come looser uh, a little bit quicker too and won't won't kind of give you that snug back back half of the foot fit that, that most runners are looking for. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a big deal and continue to be a big deal. One of the things that I find um, funny, and I'll pick on the, the poor humble shoelace for a second, but I love the shoelace, but it's amazing to me that uh, we still have shoelaces. That's still the best method to lace up our shoes. But, you know, hey, we've seen it with the flyees from Nike, and we've seen for years the boa lacing system that has been out there. And, and I do feel like that perhaps in this decade we're going to see you know, where shoelaces become a little less useful. But it's amazing. Like, like they are literally still the best uh, way to get that lockdown fit for most of us uh, in our in our shoes. So, you know, that's an area certainly to me. And if you looked into the future, I'm like, surely. I mean, we had, I, when was a shoelace invented? I mean, when we first had <laughs> shoes probably, right? I mean, well, I don't even know. I should know this when the first shoe was invented. But it was a long time ago for sure. So shoelaces have been around a long time and it's funny to me that we still like that's still how we we put our not everyone not every shoe but for the most part still how we put on you know especially our athletic shoes we lace them up but it's possible that that is an area on the uppers that is really ripe for uh for improvement and um and uh, uh and change uh, in terms of and it also could probably even though the shoelace i think goes a long way towards helping with the fit of the shoe i think the shoelace probably could be improved to the point where or eliminated to the point where the fit of the shoe is better because you don't have this, you don't have all these panels mm. and all these things that have to accommodate a lace to go up the shoe and you can just get your foot in a little bit better. So surely that is coming like in the next, I mean, I say 20 years for sure, but it seems like, gosh, it seems like the next 10 years, surely we get there on that. But who knows? Again, I'm not, I'm not on a design team. None of us are. I don't know the constraints of, uh, of things like that, but I, I do believe that's an area. And, um, you know, again, just, just more pliable materials. So things like rigid heavy heel counters will probably, you know, they're already kind of becoming a little bit less prominent and the heel counter being literally back on the heel and to help with assist with controlling the motion of the heel. And, uh, you know, those are, those are changing uh, quite a bit as well in terms of how that, that, that gets executed because that can be a big, a big part of what people make, they make a shoe feel clunky. So you've given me the perfect segue. So let's lean into this more fully. I said, I was going to ask you, for your thoughts about the future and, and where we're headed. So we can dissect current 
trends and we can certainly look at current products on our footwear wall. But in the future, let's just have some fun with this outside <laughs> of the laces. Where else do you think that we're headed or what do you think might be kind of fun that's coming down the pike? Oh, you know, um, so it's, it's, it almost sounds like a Yogi Berra quote where it says predictions <laughs> are hard, especially about the future. But uh, <laughs> so these are not predictions. These are just uh, more like well, let's just have a little fun. Let her hair yes. down. There's a little wild speculations. I, I, I don't have any great answer to that because part, you know, part of a part, part you know, human nature is to say like, let's, let's go back. Yeah, I don't know when was that, whenever the automobile was first invented, right? And everybody before the automobile, you had horses and horse-drawn carriages, right? And so you know they would ask people, like, what do you think? People who are building out cars would go out and say, well, what do you what do you think a better way is to transport? And they'd be like, oh well, you know, if we could get a, a wheel that works better on the carriage, or a stronger horse, or like more horses, or like a better harness. Like these were all the answers to the future of transportation, right? It's like no, it's the automobile. Like nobody could, nobody could see that coming. They're like, "Huh, it's the automobile." I don't even know what an automobile is. It's like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta think, think really differently. So, um, I'm not great at that. I don't know what the difference uh, in that is. I do know that if you look at things outside of the running footwear world, and um, you look at, you know, I, I think you almost have to step back and say, "Well, what do you want running to be in the future?" And you know, I think it's, it's possible with a lot of things that's going on in genetics and with longevity research, like. Those are the types of things that will trickle down and make people um, be able to make running more accessible to people, to a broader range of people and to people later in life. Um, so some of the reasons with, you know, whatever it may be, cartilage, uh, you know, bones, you know, muscle this degeneration, just all kinds of things that cause people to be like, I just can't do this anymore. And it's like they go from running to walking, they go from walking to being like, I, I, it's just even hard to walk sometimes. So I think that's, those are areas that will have a big impact in running in general. So I'm not even sure that the shoe plays like a gigantic role in the future of running, although I think people will continue to be shot. I mean, unless we you know, all become bionic, right? I mean, in <laughs> which case, who knows? Maybe then all bets are off. But, um, but uh, I do think you know, one of the things we've seen coming out of the carbon plate uh, era that we're, we're in the midst of is that people will pay more for a shoe. That doesn't mean you need to pay more for a shoe. But if you have a shoe, then you're like, you know what? That's a $250 shoe. Like, that's insane. There was a time when none of us in this room would have thought we could ever sell a $250 shoe. Even if you, like, adjusted for inflation and went back 10, 15, 20 years and said, no, it would be this price. We'd be like, you're still not going to sell. Like, nobody's going to buy that. And it's like, no, there is actually a market for that. And you say, well, why is there a market for that? I said, well, it's better. It makes a difference. So I do think there's a possibility that um, if, you know, there, there is a segment of the, the population say, look, I don't really care about the price. If it's better, if you really are selling me something better, that really, really makes a difference. I don't really care about the price that much. And I think you will probably see some of that coming out where designers who maybe have been limited by budgets, which is great. You will still have that. I mean, still, shoes still need to be competitively priced. Uh, you still need to have the entire spectrum of pricing. But I think you may see more exploration in the, the upper regions of that price and regions that we can't even comprehend today. You know, the prices were like, you know, $300, $400, $500 for running. You're like, that, that's, a, that's unbelievable. But you see it in other activities, right? I mean, you see it in cycling for sure. You know, we're, we're, now that we're, we've got a bike shop, right? So, well, you see so it, you see it for sure. I mean, you can go right, into a boutique 
footwear, Absolutely. and it could be men, so, it could be women. So easily. why why wouldn't you do it for running shoes? And I think one of the things holding you know holding it back is running shoes. Just you know, if you're actually using them for running, they're only going to last so long, right? Like you get a like a, a, a customized boot or something. It's like yeah, but it's going to last you 10, 20 years, maybe the rest of your life. Who knows? Um, and it's like, oh, okay, well, that, that makes sense. You just amortize it out, right? And, and in running, it's like, that's still going to be the same durability, right? And that's the irony with some of these, these carbon plated shoes, right? It's, it's like, you've got to price your shoe with less durability, <laughs> but it's better, right? And that's, that's the thing. So I, I do think the idea of better usually wins. I mean, it's not going to win with everybody. And it depends what you need it for. I mean, maybe some people, well, most people won't need that kind of better, but I do think you'll see more exploration in that area because why not? Like, like, why not make something that is better, even if you, you know, even if you have a little bit more of a limited audience? And in the end, that type of technology, that type of thinking, trickles down. It always trickles down, right? That's how innovation works. You get better, and then better becomes the standard for everything else. You know, what was it that we talked? We talked about 15 years ago, right? Is that what is you know what is great today is mm. good tomorrow and is average in five years, and that's that's the same thing in, in technology, right? And, and so better trickles down. So I, I, I mean, maybe this is more of a personal thing that I'd like to see people just like throw out the take take the reins off the shackles off and say let's just make an unbelievable shoe. And what does that look like? And does it is it really better? And if it's better, then there will be a market for it. So the exploration of what is possible and perhaps even what is better before we totally transition out of this. And I want everybody to kind of come to know and love you the same way we do in our organization. So we're not done yet. You're going to get some personal questions here in a second, but first thing, (laughs) how to hate running less. The other thing that has just been so cool to watch over the last few months, last couple of years, even with the pandemic alongside this class you teach in our Marietta store on Wednesdays, how to hate running less. Right. Give us an overview. Let us not miss an opportunity to talk about that. Can, can I give you some background? So please, you know, um, Playmakers, a sister store of ours up in yes. Michigan and New Balance uh, came up with good form running. Dave's over here smiling because he, he's he knows the whole history of this. He was a certified coach. Oh, absolutely. One of the best. And um uh, so that's where it kind of started. And good form running was born out of the barefoot movement, right? Because one of the legacies of the barefoot movement was saying, look, I mean, the whole idea of running barefoot is that you'll run more efficiently and you'll have better form. If you run more efficiently, some of the problems with that, that result in injuries will go away. And it's fair, right? But the problem is, is that like buying a barefoot shoe just doesn't make you an efficient runner. <laughs> Like it just doesn't work like that. Yep. You can't buy your way into it. You actually have to work at it and, and learn some principles. So, you know, we had we were a fairly early adopter of the good form running curriculum, and then that evolved into transformed running. And you know, maybe at our peak, we were doing this the uh, classes out of all all of our stores, and we had like you know an intro class that was like I think the intro class was an hour, which is hilarious now to think about it. And then like the advanced class. It was like three hours. I remember that. Three hours on a Saturday with all kinds of video analysis that would be, you know, it would be emailed back to you with, you know, coach voiceover. It was, it was fantastic, right? Well executed. But, but it was a really limited audience. And I think there, there were two things that, that I think concerned us coming out of it is one, uh, maybe three things, you know, one certifying coaches for it was like, it's like you got to know what you're talking about if you're teaching a three-hour running form class. Like you can't just sort of wing it. Like that's that's a real <laughs> problem. So so getting enough people that were actually legitimately qualified to teach something that was a problem, and then like telling people that to come to a three-hour or even a one-hour running form class is kind of like, huh, <laughs> not sure I care about it that much. And and then it was you know kind of also like 
running as an activity a lot of people just like to lose themselves in their minds it's meditative as much as anything just like get rid of their stresses it's like no no now you got to think about all this stuff while you're running it's like that's probably not a good idea and then the third thing was we have to we have to be honest with ourselves of saying like is that really a way to improve your running and and you know are all these things is it right and is it right for any one individual and the truth is we don't know Right. And, and there was definitely a lot of people who went to those classes that were like, wow, that changed my life. I feel so much better. This is absolutely fantastic. But you don't know. And, and, and like we, I don't know that you that anyone can say that, look, I'm going to change the way you run and you're going to be a better runner. Um, I mean, that's just that's a bold statement. And um, so with how to hate running less really was sort of said, OK, we've taken all that scrap that start over first principles thinking, right, saying what should we do to just uh, to appeal to that versatile runner? And, say, and it was also being honest. It started off being called How to Love Running More. And then it was How to Like Running More. And then finally it was like, ah, oh, screw Let's it. Let's be honest. Let's be honest, right? I mean, it's, it's like, we'll do it. We'll go. And so we always started classes off. We say that the number one comment we get in, uh, in any of our stores is, I love running when it's over. I just wish I didn't hate it so much while I was doing it. And so that's what hate running less is, is about. And it doesn't mean you have to hate running to take it. But it's a 30-minute class. It's free. And it really focuses on just a few basic things. And the goal isn't to say, look, we're going to make you a more efficient runner. It's like, no, no, you came, you came here because running feels clunky and awkward. Our goal is to try to make it feel a little bit lighter and smoother. And that's it. And, and, and if we can get to, if we, well, we really say our goal is to make you feel something different. And even if it's like different and it's worse and I actually hate running even more than I, when I started this class, we still say that's, that was, uh, we count that as, as, as success in a weird way. But what we really want to do is make it lighter and smoother. And if we can get to lighter and smoother for a 30 yard run in a parking lot, then maybe just maybe we can get there for a quarter mile and maybe for a half mile and who knows where it goes from there. And, and that's, so that's the premise of it. So it's, it's, it's rooted in total simplicity and accessibility we never leave the parking lot it's 30 minutes and uh and you know you can come as often as you want it's the same it's the same content every week but uh, it's been fun and i think i think i think it, it it resonates with people far more than some of our other other efforts uh efforts did it's much less sophisticated that's awesome. All right. Final question. You're going to give us something that even D2 and I can lock onto. Obviously, we're in a bit of a shared club as it is having participated in this pedestrian active lifestyle and other areas of fitness for quite some time. One of the things that is true, as unbelievable as it may sound to many of you, 10 years in a row, Duncan Ridge, 50K. <laughs> Nobody else can say that. Stevie D is in a class all his own there. And yet the real lesson, I think, is around longevity. And you even referenced it earlier, Stevie D, in, in one of your comments and, and the idea of making this truly a lifestyle and thinking about it, your phrase was later in life. So now that we look at what we really want to be the case for those who are connected to not just our brand, but quite frankly, this lifestyle is to be able to say, yes, I may have started on this particular date. It might have been yesterday. It might have been decades ago. But more importantly, the optimism and the truth of it is that they're going to continue with it for years and years to come. What would you say is just something or what you might say are those things that we should all be at least a little bit mindful of in terms of longevity and truly making this a lifestyle not just to participate in, but like you, also be enthusiastic about? Well, um, any uh, any of our PT friends that will be listening to this, or, or any of our gym friends, or any anything like that, uh, will appreciate that. I mean, in the end, there's got to be some care given to core strength, balance, and flexibility. Mm. 
I mean, it's just it's it's part of it, right? And and, and for you know, for maybe even to this day, for most of us, you would say, well, I haven't really had the baby. But at some point, like that will become an issue for sure for everyone. The sooner you can make it part of your routine, even if it's a small part of your routine, the better off you will be. So it's like doing something. And so maybe if you said sum it up in one word, it'd be like yoga. <laughs> we all do yoga, right? Um, and I'm not saying I'm a big practitioner of yoga, but I, I do try to do some things that work on, on some core strength, some balance and some flexibility. And I, I think those are, those are really important. And then, um, you know, I, I mean, just finding a way to keep it fresh and, and do what you, what you love for what, whatever that, whatever that means to you. I, I'm not a guy who needs like a, a lot of variety. <laughs> you guys are going to laugh when I say that. Like I don't need a lot of variety, so I can run, you know, in the same area and anything like that all the time. That that's that works for me. But on just finding ways to keep it keep it fresh, and and you know, if you're it, like, there's nothing like walking's fantastic too. Going for hikes, uh, going for long walks, going for just just keeping it keeping it moving, running at different speeds, running in different places, running in different distances and different races. I mean, I, I don't know. I think that's all part of it. So that that's more of the like emotional side of it and then the core strength balance and flexibility is like the rational side <laughs> it's like yeah we should all all be doing that but i mean there's so many there's so many amazing stories i mean in our organization and outside of our organization of people who started running or started walking later in life and and by the way walk running is absolutely brilliant too mm -hmm. i mean there's no shortage of examples of why that that is that is such a fantastic uh, activity and um you know i mean i think it's just it's just getting started and, and taking the long the long view approach and if you do that and you incorporate it and make it part of your routine, then as we all know, then it becomes part of your lifestyle. And once it becomes part of your lifestyle, then you'll probably hold on to it for the rest of your life. That's awesome. Those are words to live by. Not just a partner in this organization, but a partner of yours in the knowledge he so generously shares, certainly in those final comments, making this a lifestyle for all of us and certainly for all of you. Stevie D, as always, brother. Big love. Thank you for everything you do. None of this gets done without you. And now to be able to share you on this broadcast, what a gift to me, to D2, and to many others. Thank but you so the much. Pleasure, the pleasure is all mine. It's, uh, it's always an honor. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you guys. We'll Very see. cool. D2, I think we should take a quick break and then come right back. And we'll do it in just a minute. At Big Peach Running Company, we know that not everyone identifies themselves as a runner. Running isn't about a start or finish line. It's not about time or pace. It's freedom. It's a break. It's time for yourself. We take pride in listening to your needs. We make sure you get the right shoes so you can get back to enjoying your time. Big Peach Running Company has been voted as one of the best running stores in America by people like you. Visit us at any of our seven Metro Atlanta area locations or visit us at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. If you are not finishing your workout you are on your way to a long run. Good for you because this is now October 1st episode and you've heard Stevie D indicate why we should have that best pair of shoes and how important it is to be in something that's comfortable. The thing that goes so well with that, D2, as you already know, local events. And is there a better month than October for local events? The calendar is always so crowded and it usually is a bit of a difficult decision, maybe every weekend to determine which one you're going to do. Yeah, I mean, fall, I mean, it, it's, it was officially fall back, I think, September 21st First. or something. Yeah, and well so, and we are experiencing those cool mornings. Um, you know, we're still getting some of those, you know, you know, 85 degree in the, in the afternoons, but those mornings going out running in 60 degree weather with low humidity has felt phenomenal. 
So it's one of my favorite times of years, um, just because it's just great running weather, but also because of all the events. It's also when a lot of, you know, fall beer releases and darker beers get released. <laughs> so that's one yeah, of my favorites. Um, and it's just a lot of uh, social events that start happening in the fall and the winter as you start getting closer to the holidays. So it's one of my favorite times of year just because of that, uh, more of that social aspect. But lots of great races that are that are happening um and you know great time to pr because of the you're not you're not you know having to challenge yourself with the heat and the humidity especially uh for these early morning races well and and uh you mentioned early morning races all we've done is just pick a few that we think are kind of unique that you should know about here's the reality we can't name them all you wouldn't want us to that's not the purpose of this podcast the best advice we can give you make sure you're getting the big peach running company newsletter it comes out every week your free subscription to that newsletter which is almost entirely content and editorial that's going to help you it is not a promotional piece in nature but you can sign up by going to our homepage. you'll see an easy way to get that information it includes a race calendar that gets submitted and you would find more information than what we're going to share when you get that as part of that free subscription so delay that's the best resource but d2 there are some creative events this month that are coming not to say they're better but certainly they get style point for their creativity one that's been around a long time back in person this year but it does have a virtual option run like hell 5k not using the swear word in any event previously not taking the family friendly status out of this podcast october 9th uh oakland cemetery what an awesome place to go for a run you mentioned early morning i don't believe that's an early morning race my friend oh no it's not (laughs) I guess not. I mean, if you really, if if you really wanted to uh, kind of get in the theme of Halloween, running at night through a cemetery kind of sets the uh, the tone there for for that race. That's exactly right. And you can find more information. Of course, it is called the annual Run Like Hell 5K. It is in its 14th year this year. And there is another event that we've not encountered previously. It's in the morning. Thank goodness, it's not the early morning. Tell us about the Spooky Spirits since we're on this Halloween theme. Yeah, so Spooky Spirits is uh, takes place up in Swanee, and it's uh, the spirits actually talks about you know spirits as in alcohol. So every um, I guess half mile, you you, know, you get a sampling of six three ounce cocktail samples, and then at the finish you get a twelve ounce cocktail sample. So you're actually uh, you know starts at eleven a.m. So it's not like uh, you, you have to get up too early, um, and so you can you know kind of ease into your day and then just kind of <laughs> enjoy the rest of the you know just some sampling of spirits and uh, you know out at uh, Swanee Town Center. That's that's amazing, and I don't know if I'd be able to say. I have eased into my day after starting my alcohol consumption at a late at 11 a.m. But who am I to determine whether that is a good idea? But you did mention the Halloween theme a little more conventional. And now finally, after Run Like Hell and Oakland Cemetery and Spooky Spirits at Swanee Town Center, we get to something called Big Pumpkin. That certainly has a Halloween theme. And now it has your early morning start. Tell us about Big Pumpkin. Yeah, well, that takes place over at uh, Roswell Riverside Park. So it is one of the uh, flattest uh, places that you can run in Atlanta. So it's guaranteed to get you a PR, especially with the cooler temps. So, uh, yeah, and it uh, benefits the cottage school. So that's, uh, you know, it's a fundraiser for them. So uh, a a great uh, place to to run and a great way to support that uh, school. 
So, and that's almost the perfect pairing, right? If you want a make flat, fast course that starts at a conventional time, supports a great cause, it's on October 16th. It's Big Pumpkin. If you want something a little bit more difficult, certainly more boozy, starts a little bit later so you can sleep in. That Spooky Spirits, both of those are on the same date, even if not on the same time. Who's going to be brave enough to do both that morning? Please send us a note, podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com if you did both Big Pumpkin and Spooky Spirits. Also, D2, not necessarily in the Halloween theme, but certainly a very, very cool event, the Alpharetta Women's Half coming back to town, an in-person event this year in Alpharetta. Yeah, and, and that will be, uh, you know, our Alpharetta store is, uh, I believe, uh, has been hosting a training program, and there'll be packet pickup there, so we are very uh, involved with that race, and uh, it's sort of kind of, I guess, sort of one of the first uh, long-distance uh, uh, halves, I guess, or, you know, of, of that distance um, this fall before we start really getting into more of that colder temps where we start seeing more of the half marathon and full marathon races, at least and in the area. Yeah, exactly. And certainly maybe some lead up races earlier in the month. That is, I believe, a Sunday event. It is October 24th. That's your half marathon for the month. And then two great events to round out your October. If you don't already have some plans for a great event, you are already aware of certainly closing out the month. We've already talked about it. Farm to trail. Yep. For sure. And then the other that I always like to mention those races in Kennesaw, the Garden Gallop. Both of those are on October 30th. D2, you did yeoman's work going solo in the last podcast. So now I can ask you, are you ready for Farm to Trail? Uh, I'm, I'm getting ready. I've, I've, I have uh, started uh, running some trails I, I, last week. I'll probably get uh, another trail run in uh, this week. Uh, I've been getting my weekly runs in, and I uh, officially signed up for the race uh, just yesterday. So I am uh, all set, and it was interesting enough because I remember, you know, the last time we did this in person was two years ago. It was 2019. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, you know, at the finish talking to someone because they placed in my age group. They were first and I came in second. And I was like, that person said that they worked for GoGo Running. And then I went back and looked at the um, at the results and it was Powell. Powell, who is now <laughs> up at our Cartersville uh, Big Peace location. So he, he came in first. I came in second. So that was when I first met Powell, one of our new team members uh, within our organization. So now wow. I'm kind of curious and, uh, you know, whether... Um, he'll be running and uh, defending you know, his first place. That is awesome. Well, I will check the rivalry. The friendly competition has commenced. Well, it's awesome that you're registered. Obviously, two great races to round out the month. Again, Farm to Trail in Blue Ridge. Looking forward to having D2 up there with me and all of our friends and certainly Garden Gallup. Love what they do in Kennesaw for those who want a road race. That is your ticket. I don't think we're going to get jinxed. We've got much to cover in two weeks, so certainly do not go away. Like we mentioned at the onset, we're going to give you everything you need to know, including whether you should be shopping for those runners and walkers on your list already based on what you're hearing about shipping containers, supply chains, and all kinds of other things that have to do with this lifestyle. So you're going to want to tune in then. In the meantime, know how much we appreciate you. We could not do this without you. Thank you for the privilege. And certainly, as we always say, as we certainly mean, May your best miles be those covered on foot. So long, everybody.